Thanks everyone for joining in to another episode of Selling to Friends. As usual, I am joined by my co-host, John Simeon, and we have a guest uh, on today, Mike Ebers, who's coming over from Harness. How are you doing, Mike? Doing great. Excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Thanks for it's always fun. Me. I know when we uh, initially kicked off this podcast, we're, we were thinking, okay, well, we're going to do some of these in person, and here we are, you know, six months into... <laughs> A pandemic and we're still doing these over zoom so uh i think it's gonna be to, this way for a while yeah oh yeah oh yeah this is gonna be how, how it is for for quite some time so mike you know i know you bring some some interesting perspectives uh to the sales world i know you're right now in an enterprise sales role um why don't you just tell us a little bit more about you uh what you're doing right now and um how it is that you you got into sales Sure. Yeah, I'll uh, I'll tell you. So I you mentioned it earlier. I'm at Harness. It's a uh, startup. It's about four years old, um, and uh, well on our way to uh, to you know approaching that unicorn status. Hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, regardless of you know the uh, the recent events of, of 2020 and all their you know exciting fireworks and things like that. <laughs> um, uh, I'm really enjoying it. I I really didn't anticipate I was going to be in sales at this point in time, Roman. Um, a few years ago, I, you know, I thought I was going to be making a living doing uh, coaching uh, specifically for strength and conditioning and uh, either for an elite basketball team or football team. <laughs> Once I realized that you have to work basically 80 hours a week for next to no money, I realized that sales was probably going to be a better path. Um, and around that same time, you know, my wife and I, who we're pretty recently married, found out we were pregnant. So that was some added pressure that, uh, <laughs> you know, kind of mounted on my shoulders. And, um, so started off selling gym memberships, absolutely hated it. It was the hardest, most greasy, I think sales process I've ever been part of. Um, but you know, I, I was able to make a connection with people and then, and, uh, somewhat enjoyed, you know, just the, the aspect of selling. So continued that, um, you know, moved to an inside sales role, direct to consumer, and then really wanted to be in business to, uh, to business software. So gotcha. got my start in that world at Blue Cat and here I am today. Cool, man. And what kind of in your career, was it something that you applied to each role and then moved into that or were you pulled into it through your network? Um, well, I, I got my start in college in, in Oklahoma and moved here shortly after my wife and I got married in uh, we had our first kid, so I had no network coming into Dallas. Okay. I, had to, I had to create it. Yeah, it's a good question. <laughs> uh, I had to build it all grassroots. Gotcha, man. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, so uh, a little more context around Harness. So I currently still work with App Dynamics and uh, co-founder of App Dynamics, who eventually sold the company to Cisco, um, also started up Harness as well as another company. So, uh, Mike, you're you're kind of in the earlier stages, I guess, of where App Dynamics was a couple years back. So. Uh, it's always fun talking to people from some of those other companies that that Jody started up. Yeah, I've been uh, I've enjoyed watch, watching the uh, rocket ship that is App Dynamics for sure. Right, and and you just kind of look at it, you understand what we went through from an acquisition perspective, and I'm sure it creates an exciting uh, outlook for for the company that you're at right now. Right. Yep. So I know we actually had a chance to connect briefly over LinkedIn the other day, and. One of the things, obviously, we were discussing is is what topic we could potentially tackle on the podcast today. So, obviously, you know you have a lot of you know 
cool outlooks um, as far as how you tackle sales. Um, I know obviously one of those is being a parent. I know John, you know, John's married, I'm not married, but neither of us have children. I know the one that we ultimately settled on though was the brokenness of prospecting today. So yep. to kind of elaborate on that, what, what do you kind of mean when you say that, when you refer to the fact that the prospecting process is broken or really the sales process as a whole? Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, I can. Um, it's it's most top of mind, I think, for you know not just us as as salespeople who are carrying a bag and we're responsible, you know, for um, having a full pipeline. Of course, every sales VP across the country is is beating the drum consistently uh, to the you know the idea that we have to have three to four x pipeline coverage every single QBR. It's the same thing, right? Um, yep. And uh, but ironically, prospecting. Meaning, you know, going out and basically generating interest to come talk, talk to you about your your product, right? Just for the sake of defining what I mean by that, um, it, it's it's one of those things that I don't think hardly any companies have a firm grasp on it. Um, and when I say broken, um, the reason I say it isn't because it's not possible to go prospect for new business as a bag carrier, whether you're you know, carrying a bag for meetings, or if it's actual quota at the end of the day, where you get a commission check when someone sends you over the DocuSign, um, you know, it's it, it it seems not to resonate super well with the recipients of these targeted you know emails or calls or whatever the case may be. It just it seems like there's a disconnect between the buyer and the seller overall, um, and I think there's just there's a lot of opportunities for us to firm up that foundation. What do you see as the consequence? So with the current structure for attacking sales prospecting, what are you, whether that be direct feedback that customers have shared with you, what are you seeing the impact be on the end user? Yeah, on, on the end user, uh, you're talking specifically about the end user being the buyer, the recipient the buyer. of these messages? Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So I think it's eroded trust. I think it's... Um, you know, I think it's it's a loss of time. This is probably the biggest one that I hear. Um, and uh, you know, it, it's interesting. There was a there was a guy on my on my LinkedIn uh, worked at a company I I actually was was targeting as part of my uh, PG or pipeline generation, um, you know, efforts. And he wrote a post that it specifically called out like, "Hey, don't use LinkedIn to pitch me your product." Um, that's not what this platform is, is for. And quite frankly, I'm here to learn and I'm here to network. I'm, I'm not here to be sold. Right. Uh, that's just LinkedIn, right? We have, you know, tens of thousands of examples where we're starting to see people post about this stuff on LinkedIn regarding email, regarding calls, regarding, you know, even it's like sometimes Twitter, Reddit, people are starting to talk about it in different subreddits. Like salespeople are persistent and creative by nature. Like we have to be, it's how we prove our existence. Um, and uh, so for buyers to feel like maybe their private, either their privacy is, um, uh, you know, is, is, is being intruded upon or, um, you know, they just, they just don't trust salespeople. Ultimately it, it hurts both sides because those productive conversations about actually solving problems or gaining a better future uh, tend to be stalled. Right. Or, or at, at, you know, best they happen, but they're just not as productive. Gotcha. So question, so kind of further on that, do you think this is a habit that is 
just either just kind of based on the perception of how people sell, or do you think this is, comes from poor learning? Because I'll give you an example. When I first got into sales, and, and John backed me up here, is we went into selling for you know to small businesses, and our only familiarity with sales outreach was either just cold calls directly to us, if it's maybe from an insurance company or a marketing email. So that is our perception of the sales world is that it's that annoying call that comes in or just a very general email. And obviously the easiest thing to do is to imitate what we already know. So do you think those habits, you know, especially with automated tools like outreach and sales loft, which make it super easy to send out just general campaigns, do you think that habit is being encouraged? Um, and if, you know, if not, what do you think, you know, is kind of causing those, those issues and brokenness to the model? Yeah, that's a really, really insightful question. And there's probably eight different tangents we could go down just on that, <laughs> just on that question alone. I think, you know, it's interesting. You have, you have your CMO that is interested in, in building a brand and a perception and awareness and a presence in a market. Uh, you know, kind of like Coca-Cola, right? Like there's a, there's a certain brand and aura about Coca-Cola that they strive to preserve and they spend, you know, billions of dollars annually to preserve that, that kind of, that, um, that view from the public. And then you have your CMOs that are, uh, probably more focused on just generating leads and pipeline. And those are kind of the two ends of the spectrum that I see. Um, and, and we're seeing, you know, a lot of, you know, marketing and sales kind of mesh together to, um, be those pipeline generating engines. So it's like, um, you know, depending on your company, if you're more focused on just pipeline generation, we live for the quarter, we die by the quarter. We, we, we have, you know, a specific amount of pipeline that we have to hit. That's going to determine how you enable your salespeople. Um, most, I would say sales organizations are going to obviously be focused on leads because that's going to convert to close business. And that's what, you know, quota and, and commission and stuff is, is based on. Uh, that's, that's why they're there is close business. Um, so really when you start as an XDR, XDR meaning like SDR, BDR, TR, however you do it at your company. Um, or if you're an AE, it's like, here's the keys to the Ferrari, like go drive it. You know what I mean? Like you don't need to learn about the buyer. Maybe we'll do like a quick couple of days of, you know, in bootcamp talking about personality traits and stuff like that of, of your target market. But there's really, there, there's not like this control system, this almost this quality assurance gate that says, Hey, do you really understand what you're talking about? Um, do you understand who you're reaching out to, what they care about, what they're going to think if they're reading the words that you are typing and is three paragraphs really necessary to communicate your simple value prop? And to your point, you kind of commoditize these, these outreach events with, um, and, and by the way, there's nothing against outreach or, or sales life. Like I love those tools. I, I use them, you know, on a daily basis. Um, what happens though, is it's, it's very trivial to stitch together a bunch of snippets and quotes and things like that together just to create this, this kind of boilerplate message rather than saying, all right, I'm going to take a step back. If I'm, re if I'm reaching out to Roman or John specifically, let's just take SalesFox as an example. Like what are two co-founders of, you know, a, 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 a fast growing sales startup? 
Um, what are they going to care about? What's going to keep them up? What are they going to fear the most? What are they going to work towards the hardest? Like, what are their goals? What are their dreams? What are their nightmares? Those kinds of things. Um, we don't really put as much emphasis on that because it's too easy just to spout off a couple of emails, you know, every week to, to, to somebody and follow it up with a bunch of, Hey, did you see my last email type follow-ups? Right. And yeah, Mike, I think, I think what you're summarizing perfectly is kind of the, what I've heard portrayed as the, the shotgun versus the rifle approach, right? If I'm using something that's just boilerplate and I know I can then send two follow-ups and that's going out to every single person, I can send that out to a thousand people, pray and spray and something might land as opposed to when you get into enterprise sales where things need to be a bit more personal and a bit more developed, you get to a point where you want to be more of a, a rifle, right? I know about these people. I know everything that's going on with their company. I've gotten kind of inside their head and I'm selling to the people, not just, you know, Hey, you looked like you'd be a good fit for our product. Let me know if you're interested. And I think, I think it's a sentiment that is very easy to become familiar with. So anyone who has any form of profile on LinkedIn understands even getting pitched a new job. But, you know, if you are in a sales role, it's pitched sales tools. You know, in our situation where we have co-founder on our profile, we're also getting pitched marketing Everything else under the sun. And yeah. Everything. So <laughs> it's very much, uh, hey, I'm, you know, on LinkedIn, it's, it's very easy to see. It's like, hey, I'm reaching out to you because we're connected to similar people. And then they dive right into the pitch. And I think Every trying time. to take those moments and put yourselves in your own prospect shoes is something that not a lot of people do, but it really helps you recognize, okay, what is going on in their head and, and why are they not necessarily sending me a response? Yeah, and, and Mike, I thought it was something else. Um, when, I, when we were kind of prepping for this, Roman sent me over your, your talking points and you said, um, fix a broken prospecting system. And kind of through this conversation, at least to me, it feels almost like uh, there's not a, a fix, but it needs to be a complete overhaul. You know, it needs to be completely different from what people are, are doing right now. I think that's a I think that's a really good point. Um, and a lot of times, uh, you know, to to the buyer and seller sides uh, credit. I think we, we're having those conversations. We're asking the questions to get there. There's uh, a general consensus across both sides, you know, that, hey, this isn't perfect. Let's fix it. Um, you know, one thing that I, that I talk about quite a bit is, um, you know, when you just do the spray and pray approach that you talked about, John, earlier, neither side enjoys doing that. It's not fun for either side, right? It's not like salespeople are just these yeah, sadistic, you know, professionals <laughs> that are like, "Hey, we're, you're, <laughs> I just want to see you squirm until you get a meeting with me." It's like neither side likes it. But the problem is, we start at the surface level with, and we we all see it on LinkedIn posts. A buyer will say, usually at a VP level or director level, salespeople quit doing this. I don't like cold calls or, Hey, don't send me more emails. I like to clean, keep like a, a clean inbox or whatever it is. And you'll have five, six, seven, eight, maybe a hundred salespeople going, you know, well, how is it that you like to be contacted? Like, that's the question. But when you have the, the premise of that question is really like, okay, well that way didn't work to annoy you and get your attention. Like what's another less painful way to annoy you and get your attention. But I, you know, if we took a step back and, and asked, okay, help me understand your world better. 
help me understand you as a person better. I, I don't think we asked that question. How do we get a hold of you? I think we could even use the same channels, email, LinkedIn, you know, I'm finding Twitter's becoming, you know, even uh, a, a good source as well. Uh, phone calls. Like if we understand people better, we create more trust between, between both sides and all of a sudden the conversations are flowing a little bit better. So it's, it's not about just finding another channel that works today and won't work tomorrow. Cause it's another inbox, right? The way salespeople people tra- uh, treat it. Um, but it's an overhaul of just understanding each other and building that trust. Mike, it's funny you bring that up. Um, I am now kind of in the construction industry. I sell software to construction companies and the biggest thing that I learned you know, from my previous sales roles was getting just what you're saying, get inside these people's heads. Well, here's this world, right? I mean, I might've picked up a shovel a couple of times in my life, but I don't understand it at all. So the first probably month, month and a half, probably two months, even I was going through and the conversations I were having, I was having were focused around, okay, well tell me what you guys do. Not, no, I don't get that. You know, treat me like the dumb sales guy, explain it like you're talking to a kid, you know? And the people that I talked to loved it, right? Because that's their passion. That's their world, you know? And so the fact that a salesperson was willing to take the time to sit down and, you know, I'm not going to pitch you anything because I don't know what you need. Tell me, explain to me how things work. Let's have a real conversation. And then I'll say, well, what do you think about this? Or, you know, how about that? And that's how, you know, real relationships start to develop. And I think to add to that too is, Obviously, especially in places like IT sales, where you're in a very different function than your target audience. The assumption is that you go into the meeting and you know your skill set very well of how to sell a product and they know their skill set very well of IT. And I think there is a danger of focusing too much on telling and assuming what they need. And each person is going to have a different approach. And I think to your point, John, of really going in and trying to build an understanding of what it is that they need and what their priority is versus assuming is really going to create a better relationship and a better conversation in the long run. Because I I definitely know I've done it before where I've gone into a conversation and someone's been like, what the hell, Roman? Like, I know you You don't like, like you're almost insulted and they're getting defensive of, I know what my priorities are. You need to stop telling me what my priorities are. It's not going to, it's not going to help me out. So I I made a question. Oh, ahead, on that, on that real quick before you move on, Romans heard me say it a, a thousand times before, you know, we were born with two of these and one of these and point that you got two ears and one mouth, right? So you got to listen twice as much as you uh, explain something. Right. So I, I think this is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently, Mike, is considering that my, I, I first really started in sales at a startup to direct to consumer. And then I moved over to Intuit where I was focusing on SMB. And now I'm over at AppDynamics where I'm focusing on corporate, you know, sort of, you know, smaller level accounts. And I know you're focusing on the enterprise. Do you think that the model as a whole is universally broken or do you think it is more specific to enterprise? And and to give more context, I know, for instance, I personally, whenever I get like a discount email in the the mail from like, I I love Orvis, for instance, because that's where I get all my fly fishing stuff. So I'll get just a general magazine or a general email and I'll usually click through it and see if it's anything that's relevant to me. But as an individual contrib- you know, c- consumer, I will get a handful of things a day. But then you look on, on LinkedIn, there's CIOs, for instance, who have shared out, hey, you know, I get 50 to 100 sales emails in a given day. They're all the same thing. They're all super canned. And I'm just not going to reply to those. So do you think that it's an issue with 
sales as a whole, or do you think it's more specific in the enterprise space, which is incredibly noisy? Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a really good question. Um, admittedly, I, I, I have more thoughts on B2B, you know, enterprise kind of software, cause that's just where I've spent most of my time selling. Um, but I, I think it is universal. And again, it's about, you know, it, it, are you focused on the brand? Are you fo- focused on leads, right? Apple doesn't send you an email every single day begging you to go take a look at the new iPhone 12 <laughs> Pro Max, right? They just don't, but we all know who Apple is. They play what Simon Sinek would refer to as uh, the infinite game. Um, so it, with B2B, it's interesting. Um, it, it, are you guys familiar with Dave Gerhart? Yes. CMO of, I think it's yep. Shopify. I think it's Shopify, mm-hmm. but... Yep. Um, so Dave Gerhart is uh, one of my favorite people to follow both on Twitter and LinkedIn. He had what I, I think is early stages of a revolution in B2B marketing and just prospecting in, in general in the form of a LinkedIn video. And he said, B2B advertising does not have to be boring, but every single company for the most part in the enterprise software space basically has the same formula, right? It's like, come check out our, our white paper or you know, check, out, check out the study that you know, buyers at this point are like, great, it's just going to tell me how great your, your product is or you know, here's this canned cartoonish video that with like happy-go-lucky music in the background that talks about your product for two minutes. It's like, it's all the same. It's, you know, to use, to use a food example, it's like unseasoned baked chicken breast. It's just like, sure, it gives you plenty of protein. It gets the job done. You're not going to be hungry, but you're not really going to enjoy eating it. Um, so I, I, I think, you know, regardless of if you're in the B2B space or if it's direct to consumer selling, like, you know, like tell you know, trying to get somebody on your credit card for, uh, you know, travel rewards, people are people at the end of the day, that's our target. And people don't necessarily get it you know, equal, they don't necessarily get excited about what your product does. They get excited about two things and you guys are no different. I'm no different. Number one, oh, here's somebody who gets me. Here's somebody who gets it. They get me, they understand me. And number two, oh, cool. Like here's what I could do or do less of or whatever your solution does, you know, to make my job easier or less painful. Those are, that's universal. It doesn't matter if you're working for JP Morgan Chase or you're working for, you know, SalesFox, a, a startup that's trying to disrupt the whole prospecting market. So um, I, I think as a whole, it's, it's broken um, because we don't realize that they are individuals with hopes and dreams on the other side of the messages. And so Mike, how, how would you go about tackling this? I mean, we've, we've kind of, you know, discussed the issue. What, are, what could we do today just as salespeople as a whole? And would that start in your mind really from a leadership perspective or can individual contributors make this adjustment regardless of, like you said, what industry I'm in, where I'm working, so on and so forth? It's a good question. It's a lot easier when your leaders are behind that shift and they understand the problem, of course. But at the end of the day, you know, everybody tells us we're quota carriers. Like we are the CEOs. I'm doing air quotes. It's the CEOs of our business, of our segment, of our region. Um, so we are not just able to make those changes, but I, I think we have to, I think we have to create that groundswell. Um, because we are, 
you know, we're kind of younger in our sales careers. We're the next generation of sales leadership. So it, it kind of starts with us, you know, um, we don't have to wait for permission. So to answer your question, how specifically we can make that difference. I think the first thing for me, um, is just be more thoughtful about my engagement with buyers in my conversations with them. So I go where my buyers are. And for, for me personally, engineering people, um, a lot of times are on LinkedIn and they're on Twitter. So I'll, I'll reach out and have conversations just like I will with one of you guys just to understand their world. Right. So that's, that's the first thing I want to know, you know, kind of like your example, John earlier, where, you know, you were asking the construction guys, like, well, tell me about your job. What do you do? You know? And, uh, uh, so that's the first thing, understand that from, from them, what their job is like. Uh, number two, go to places like Reddit and read the same things they read and, you know, understand, you know, for me, DevOps is, is a target buyer. What is it that you're kind of struggling with? What are you frustrated with? What are you facing? Like, what, what are some cool things you're, you're working on? What are the hot new, you know, open source tools that you're excited about? Like, I want to know all that. I don't have to have a conversation for that. So I can go to places like Reddit. Um, and then from there, the emails, the LinkedIn messages, you know, those things kind of get written by themselves. Once I understand the person, it's not boilerplate. Like I want to put my company, you know, in front of you because I want a demo, um, or set a meeting with you. It's, Hey, I, you know, I saw that Acme corporation, uh, you know, just made the switch over from Azure to Google and you're a Kubernetes guy. So I know that moving from AKS to GKE typically comes with a little bit of, you know, either a learning curve or just, you know, some aches and pains, getting everybody else up to speed. Would love to talk to you about how Harness can make that transition easier once I, I've earned the right to kind of, you know, have that conversation um, about my product. Um, and then, you know, that kind of on that same note, don't connect and pitch. Like that is... <laughs> unless you've already connected with them on some other platform, like if there's one thing that buyers have made it abundantly clear, and this is irrespective of industry is connecting and pitching is one of the least inspiring things ever. It's nothing says, Hey, this is about me more than, Hey, thanks for connecting. Let's, <laughs> let's jump on a call so that I can pick your brain or whatever. Um, so that's just a couple examples I can think of off the top of my head. So yeah, I love your dog there, John. <laughs> yeah, sorry faces. about that. <laughs> sorry about that. Yeah, um, I love that that part though that you said about once I've earned the the right to talk about my product, and then you you delved right into the don't pit, don't connect and pitch, because it's nothing is worse than when somebody's like, hey, came across your profile. Whenever I read those messages, would love to connect. You know, kind of those just very canned generic ones. As soon as you click accept, you know, what's about to happen in your inbox, you know, and it makes you almost not even want to connect because I don't want to clutter my inbox. Like we were saying before with a thousand different messages that don't, don't care about me or, you know, the audience at all. So I, I get it, Mike, what, what you're saying. And obviously to play a little bit of devil's advocate, because I have had this conversation with people before is how do you make that connection when it's not face to face um, and not make the interaction awkward? Because the, the justification that I've heard some people say to pitching off of initial connect is, okay, this is the reason I connected and this is the reason I'm messaging you is because I have a product I think could help. 
So what is, and there, there's obviously no perfect answer to this, otherwise everyone would have been already doing this. What are some, what is like a practice that you do that helps make that conversation kind of kick things off without it being weird? And, and maybe it's just tying back in everything you said around Reddit and Twitter, but is there anything specific there that you, you, you do to kick those relation, relationships and conversations off? Yeah, I can think of a couple examples um, and I'll preserve anonymity for obvious reasons. But, uh, you know, w- one of the things that was interesting is there's a book that's pretty hot in the DevOps market right now called Accelerate by Nicole Forsgren, uh, Jez Humble and Gene Kim, uh, which if you do sell to engineering buyers, it's a good one to uh, to get your head around. Um, so I re- I've read that book several times, um, connected with a couple of, of, of folks on uh, Twitter um, who have been talking about some of the concepts contained in the book, right? Like how do we reduce our time to market? How do we, you know, reduce our mean time to restore like some of the core metrics, uh, that are important to these, to these, uh, guys. Um, and when they post content or, or tweet on Twitter and I'll get to LinkedIn and email in a second, but, um, it's a lot easier to click the like button, retweet their stuff, you know, and and kind of support the messaging that they have. Um, obviously, if you like it, if you don't, then you wouldn't do that. But um, then once you get to a point where you, you, you can kind of have that conversation, which doesn't take very long, just initiate a one-on-one in their DMs, for example, and, and say, hey, like, you want to get together and I'll share with you what I've been reading in the book Accelerate. And we can just kind of compare notes, what, what we're seeing. Um, and that worked uh, pretty well a couple of times. I say worked. Um, it's not really a tactic. It's like what we would do with normal people outside of work. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's how relationships are built. Mm-hmm. Uh, another example is um, this was especially top of mind because uh, the guy actually posted a comment on, on one of my posts recently. And he said, you know, he kind of, you know, explained, like I said earlier, his frustration with the connecting pitch and that whole you know, model that salespeople tend to do like he, but he said he wants a connection first. He wants to know you as a person. And then maybe if it makes sense, they'll meet. And he comment compliments me on my, on my post. He said, you're good at doing this. Um, the first talking point I think we had was he owns a coffee shop and sells it online. He has, that's his, his side business. Um, and I'm a big coffee guy. So I was, just checking out his coffee. And I was like, shoot, I'm going to go buy some coffee and talk to this guy about coffee. And we did that without talking about any product or anything. Like didn't know if, you know, this was really going to, if harness was, was, was going to be the right fit for this guy. Um, but, uh, just having that organic conversation and kind of, you know, building that up, it led to an organic discussion about our product. Um, and because we have that foundation of, it's not just about harness or it's not just what I can get from you, then we can keep having those conversations, which is, is valuable to me because I, I prefer the relationship, right? Um, so those are just some examples. Um, you know, it, you don't have to overthink it. We're professional extroverts um, and just starting with, you know, some of the stuff that would make us feel good, like supporting content and striking conversations and on other topics uh, are I think- good places to start. I think you make some really good points there. So one of the, um, one of the things my mentor said to me early on when I first got into sales is obviously really just focus on building quality relationships with 
the, it, you know, people within your company, because it's those people that are going to go to new companies and then maybe eventually bring you behind them. So it's like, if you perform in sales and you make good relationships, then you'll never have to apply to a job again in your life. I think the same sort of holds true with the sales rep to customer engagement. I've always liked looking at sales as more of paid for networking. So you think about the different events that companies allow you to host, um, you know, within your sales territory. I know obviously some of that, there's still a lot more restrictions for that right now. You know, sending gifts out to end users. I actually have people in my network that, whether it be someone I've tried to sell to in the past or just started up a relationship because I was hoping to maybe add value with our product within their company. I've actually built real relationships with individuals through sales. So I think it's about shifting the mindset of, hey, I'm in sales. What can, how quickly can I get something out of somebody else so I can get my paycheck to, hey, you know, this is an opportunity where I can get paid while also making real relationships and then sort of everything else follows. Yeah, I think, uh, I think Mike, you hit it on the head when you said we're, we're all just people at the end of the day, right? And just talk to them like you would anybody else. If you lead with an, an agenda of how can I get something out of someone, that comes across regardless of if you say it within that first pitch or if you're starting a conversation and it feels awkward, it's probably because you're starting a conversation with an agenda, not just getting to know a person. And if along the way your product fits, great. If not, then hell, you've got one more connection. Yeah. Good point. So Mike, I know there's probably a lot more questions that I could dive into with you here, but um, just for the sake of the time, sake of time, I think we're going to wrap it there. Um, who knows? Uh, maybe if people actually respond well to this and think you had valuable insight, maybe we'll bring you back on TBD on that one. <laughs> I'd like um, to have you back. I learned I learned something today. I don't know about you, Roman. Yeah, I mean, and that's and that's one of the goals too. A little selfishly, is always to to pick up some new <laughs> stuff as well. But um, thanks everyone for for listening in. Uh, continue to look out for more podcasts. I know we've been a little bit <laughs> inconsistent with releasing them, but I appreciate the listen and um, hope to have you all back soon.